at the end of the game, there's a stat sheet that all the teams get. All right, in the stat sheet, it has how many minutes you played, how many points you scored, how many shots you took, rebounds, assists, fouls, free throws, and all the, and all those things. Well, Michael used to have a second stat sheet. All right, he would have a stat sheet of the free throws he missed, the fouls he committed, the turnovers he had, all the negative stuff. All right, and I asked him, I was like, "Explain this to me." He goes. I'm supposed to score points. I'm supposed to get rebounds. I'm supposed to make my teammates better. I don't want to get acknowledged for the things I'm supposed to do. That's like people want to get acknowledged for hard work. They want to get acknowledged for showing up. I love this one. You know, oh, showing up is half the battle. No, showing up is none of the battle. It's none of the battle. I'm like, all right. So people want to get, man, I showed up. I showed up today. All right. You know, that that's great. So he's just like, I'm not supposed to turn the ball over. I'm not supposed to miss free throws. All right. I'm supposed to make my teammates better. So let, I need to work hard consistently on those three things on a regular basis. And the other things will automatically get better. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. As always, I'm here with Ben, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks, Patrick. Good. We are joined today by a special guest. Tim Grover is here from Chicago. For folks who don't know Tim, he is the CEO of Attack Athletics Incorporated, author of Relentless, From Good to Great to Unstoppable, and the new book, which is called Winning, The Unforgiving Race to Greatness. And I wanted to, I was thinking about the best way to maybe introduce you, Tim, and then I looked at the cover again. And I thought, I'm just going to read the blurb at the top of the cover of this book. And I feel like it's going to say a lot. Here it is. Tim Grover was by my side for 15 years and knows more about building, uh, knows more than anyone about building winners. This book is essential for those who want to be the best at whatever they do and are willing to pay the price to get there. Tim, I'm going to let you tell us who uh, blurbed that for you. It's a gentleman that won a few championships in the NBA. It was Michael Jordan. (laughs) <laughs> that's right. So if you need to know anything else about you, Tim, I feel like that, that, that's pretty much it. That, that gives you a good entryway into uh, you, your work. Um, and I'm excited to have this conversation. So thanks so much for coming on board. Uh, this is an honor. This is a true honor to do this. I mean, I followed, you know, Ben's work for, I don't know how many years, how can you not, you know, champions want to see how other champions perform things. And it's just, it, it's the mindset. It's just how you do everything. So it's an honor for me. I was very excited when I saw this come across. I was like, yes, we're definitely doing this one. Well, that, that's that's incredibly um, exciting for me to hear. Honestly, I would like to say the word humbling, but that's not humbling. That's exciting um, because I've read Relentless. I read it, I read it a bunch of years ago. Um, a little more context. Um, um, Tim was Michael Jordan's trainer. Um, at the time, I believe he's the only client you worked with because Michael Jordan, the quote is, didn't pay you to train him. He paid you not to train anyone else. Correct. So he, yes. he thought it was a, a massive competitive advantage. And um, when Michael Jordan retired, you started to work with a lot of the other all-stars of the uh, the 90s and then became like kind of like what you did for Michael, you then did for Kobe again. So repeating greatness, I always think is the, is the hallmark. Um, you speak about that a lot in your books and I loved Relentless. And man, like I was just, you know, we were kind of, I was kind of, um, gushing a little bit before we start recording about how good I think this new book winning is like, Tim, I'm super impressed with, uh, you being able to encapsulate. And this is what I'd love to kick this off with this idea of winning and what the, like I put the relentlessness of it, both the pursuit, but then the harshness of it and the unforgiving aspect of it. And your the way you write about it, winning is not being on the center of the podium or with the championship. Winning is this more esoteric thing. Winning is mm-hmm. this kind of like, it's more of a of an approach, 
than it is yes. actually like placements. Can you kind of mm. lean into what you mean by what is winning? Well, think about this. And, you know, I love to use the my guests, whoever I'm speaking to as examples, because people can relate to that. And it bring, brings, a, brings a story that, hey, this isn't just about me. These are about uh, other individuals. Ben, you were on the, uh, you've been on the top podium, if I remember correctly, seven times, right? Thereabout, yeah. Yeah, thereabout. Yeah. All right. How long were you actually on that podium? So, well, I wasn't at all. My, my athletes were. So, okay. um, yeah. But the athletes were there for, um, you know, at best minutes, probably closer to seconds. How long, do, how, how much time did they spend in the actual chase? How many time did they spend in the actual chase to get onto that platform, to get onto that winning? Yeah, the, the easy answer would be years, but really it's decades. And this is what this book is about. It's about the decades that those individuals spend, spend for that 30 seconds. And everybody sees the glorification of those 30 seconds and they don't understand the chase, the unforgiving race it took to get to there because that's not where the glory is. That's not where the steps are. That is where it's all about the physical and mental grind of where you want to go. Where do you want to compete? You know, in the book Relentless, I talked about coolers, closers, and cleaners. And when I was thinking about this aspect here, I was just like, okay, you have individuals who compete. Well, you know a lot of those people. They, 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 they compete. They don't, they're not looking to win. They're just looking to finish. That, that's their win. Their win is to finish. All right? So they're in the chase to finish. Then you have the other individuals that are in the chase to win. But they just want that win one time. Mm. They just, that's their win to get it one time. And then you have the next level who win at winning. And that's the people who repeat over and over and over again. And that's just not in competition. It's not in CrossFit. It's just in basketball, athletic endeavors. It's in life. It's whatever you do. It could be raising your kids. It could be a charity. It could be a school teacher. It could be an accountant. It could be that lawyer. It could be that CEO. Most individuals, every, we all know how to compete. Everyone knows how to compete at a certain level. Everyone's tasted a win here or there. But the exceptional ones, they win at winning. Yeah, Um and there's like this harshness to it, right? It's not like the sunshine and rainbows. It's not what people, obviously it's not what people see when the people are on the floor and, you know, Jordan's hitting the last shot against Utah. It's, um, it's this like, the way you write about it, it's almost just like, it, it's cruel. You know, I'm gonna, I'm, I wanna um, share a part of the book and this is right in the beginning. This kind of sets the stage for it is, mm -hmm. winning doesn't apologize, it doesn't explain. It throws a party in your honor, refuses to give you the place and time, and sticks you with a check. It pours your champagne and knocks over the glass. You reach out to shake its hand and it has no idea who you are. Winning puts you on the biggest stage and shuts off the lights. In my 30 plus years of working with the greatest competitors of our time, from Jordan to Kobe and Dwayne Wade and Charles Barkley and countless other CEOs and elite achievers in all walks of life, I've seen winning in all its glorious generosity and its excruciating uh, cruelty. One day it wears a halo, the next day it wears fangs. You don't get to decide which it will be. So I think that this is like, you know, and you talk about this in the book as well, is like everyone that's looking for these self-help books and these betterment things, and they just don't realize um, how brutal it is. And you've talked in the book and um, – it's, it really, at this level, everyone has talent, but it really comes down to mindset. And I think you can speak to this better than almost anybody because you truly have worked with the elite of the elite that have done this. And in elite, in a world where it's all about talent and mm -hmm. maybe more so now than ever, like 
because the specialization that kids are getting, like there's massive talent coming up through the pipeline. Yes. But still it gets weeded out. Can you speak to what why is it a mindset? And when people it's so easy for you to brush over because it's too soft, Tim. Mindset's soft. Like it's about the crossover dribble. It's about how good you are from shooting threes from the corner. Like it's gotta be about that. How possibly can it be about mindset? Well, <laughs> It's the mindset that allows you to cross over. It's a, it, it, it allows you to shoot that corner three because it's just not that one corner three. It's the mindset that allows you to work on that crossover every single day over and over and over and over again. And that allows you to perfect it. It's that mindset that takes those endless shots over and over and over again. I have a great story about this. When Kobe was in uh, the Olympics in 2008, Eight, uh, Mike successfully, Coach K was the coach, and he pulled Kobe and myself over, and he said, "Kobe, you're actually going to have open shots." And Kobe said, "I've been playing this game for I don't know how many years. I've never had an open shot." He goes, "No, because with the talent that we have and the offense we're going to run, you're going to have open shots." So Kobe goes, "Well, we're going to. Where are my open shots going to be from?" He said, "Mostly the corners." And if you looked at the history of, of Kobe, very rarely did he take shots from the corner. All right? So the coach told him, hey, in order for us to win, this is the mindset you have to have. This is what you have to do. So every single day from the moment the coach told him that, we would make 500, not miss, not take, we would make 500 hundred jump shots from the corners. That's it. You know how monotonous that is? Just to sit there. And then some of the times we would challenge each other to raise a mindset even. Hey, this one has to be all net. The next one has to go off the back iron. This has so we would challenge even to take it to take the mind, make it even more difficult instead of just, hey, Let's not just make the shot because there's a lot of individuals that can make the shot. Let's enhance the focus. This is how the ball has to go in the hoop. This is how it has to come back to you. So those 500 shots weren't all the same every single time. That's mindset. I love that. That's mindset. It's discipline. Um, there's a, um, it's so. It's There's, sacrifice. It's every. It's everything. It's accountability. It's all. It's all those things that people don't want to do because they look for those easy steps. How many? When I wrote this book, even when I wrote the first book, everybody was like, "Well, this book doesn't tell you what to do." Exactly. <laughs> You've been told your whole life what to do. Most of the things you need to kind of figure out yourself. You can be coachable. You, the greats are coachable. You know, your, your top performers, the ones that win on a regular, they're the most coachable individuals out there. All right. But being able to repeat that mindset over and over again and know there are no easy steps. I hate these books that come out and says, you know, 10, 10 steps to great fitness or five steps to success. Really? Really? Is it that simple? Ben, how many times have people come up to you and said, what's the one thing? <laughs> if it was that simple, every individual we train would be champions. It's not that, it's not that easy. Those steps, are, those steps are infinite. Sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. A lot, they're constantly shifting. And many times, especially in your sport, to be able to climb those steps, you got to crawl, you got to roll over, you got to lay down on your back, and you got to get up to be able to climb those steps because they're constantly shifting. But people don't want the shifting steps. They want the easy part. So when they see winning at the end, they're like, oh, wow, they like to clap for that person. But if they had to see what that person went through from a mental standpoint to get to that win, they wouldn't clap for him because they'd be in awe. They'd be like, this is too much for me. Yeah. Um, I'd love for you to like expound upon that because the, the specific examples are amazing. Like you said, coach K, you know, he hit from the corner 500 shots. 
one of the big takeaways I took was this difference between Kobe and Michael, which you did a good job explaining in the book. Um, and Kobe would practice. You had to like Kobe was the guy you had to like tell like we've done enough. Where Michael yes. was the guy that's smart enough to realize when he's done enough. But one of the big things I recognized was Kobe's. Um, so to put in like I love you to tell the story, but his. 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. practices, and he would hit the shots. He wouldn't go to bed until he was like, he was um, so driven. And then Michael was the same thing, but on a like um, a regimented standpoint, yes. like every single thing to the point like he had to lace up his own shoes every single time. Can you? Yes. That that mentality again, because I think it brings a lot of this. Like, I think people give themselves a lot of credit for working hard, and w- what they don't realize is this is in my sport everyone's working hard. Like you don't get, (laughs) you don't get to where you're supposed to be by not working hard. Like every single person is working out in the gym. Like our sport is just training. Like it's not skill. So everyone in our sport is training, you know, four to six hours a day. Like that's just, that's the price of it. You know, people say like, we have a saying in our sport, which hard work pays off. I think it, you know, HWPO and Matt Fraser's kind of, I think it's hard work is the price of admission. Like, yes, it's like, you just, you don't get there without that. And it's the next level. It's the obsession that gets you to where you want to be. You know, I, when the book I wrote um, a while back, one of the chapters I talked about, which was wrong, it was about passion. You need passion. Like I've realized since I wrote that, like screw passion. <laughs> Everyone's got, if you don't have passion, if you don't like, you're not going to, you're not going to get past high school. It's obsession. It is yes. to be the great. It is. I'm not going to sleep until dot, dot, dot. So um, can you kind of like color in between the lines of that? Sure. With what you've seen with uh, Kobe yeah. and Michael? Well, for me, passion is entry level. Yeah. That's entry level. You know, that's like an individual coming up to you and says, hey, uh, uh, train me. I, I, I'm, I'm the hardest worker. That's all you got? Everybody I work? No, I want to train the laziest person out there. You have to have everybody. Everybody is working hard. But I have to understand Hard work does not guarantee success. It does not guarantee you success. All right. So with these individuals, they knew that if they didn't work hard, that was a surefire guarantee that they weren't going to succeed. So their ability not only to put the physical work in, but put the mental work in, watching the film, watching the film afterwards, watching tape, understanding, looking at the scouting, looking at the scouting, looking at the scouting reports, looking at what they excel, looking at what they didn't do, doing things that are beyond what people would consider hard work. You know, like you said, your athletes, uh, they train four to six out four to six hours a day. My guys also trained about that time, but it wasn't always about the physical. There was recovery part in there was recovery part in there. There was massages, there was muscle activation, there was stretching, there were skills, there was a big component of those things. And you have to work hard at all those things. People just want to work hard at the things they love to do and that they excel at. And the yeah. things they need to work hard at is the things that they don't excel at. Like that's the difference. Make your weaknesses your strengths and make your strengths even stronger. That's what hard work is. And if you get that, if you start doing that, winning might take notice. It might. It might just say, you know what? I got to pay attention. I got to pay attention to this person over here. All right. But most of the people only want to do, they want to do, especially with the with the access to social media now, instead of looking for that win, they're just looking for that moment. They look for that one moment they can put on Instagram, whether the team wins or loses. Here's a great story about the hard work stuff with, with MJ. At the end of the game, there's a stat sheet that all the teams get. All right, in the stat sheet, it has how many minutes you played, how many points you scored, how many shots you took, rebounds, assists, fouls, free throws, and all, the, and all those things. Well, Michael used to have a second stat sheet. All right, He would have a stat sheet of the free throws he missed, the fouls he committed, the turnovers. He had all the negative stuff. All right, And I asked him, I was like, explain this to me. He goes, I'm supposed to score points. I'm supposed to get rebounds. 
I'm supposed to make my teammates better. I don't want to get acknowledged for the things I'm supposed to do. That's like people want to get acknowledged for hard work. They want to get acknowledged for showing up. I love this one. You know, oh, showing up is half the battle. No, showing up is none of the battle. It's none of the battle. I'm like, all right. So people want to get, man, I showed up. I showed up today. All right. You know, that that's great. So he's just like, I'm not supposed to turn the ball over. I'm not supposed to miss free throws. All right. I'm supposed to make my teammates better. So let, I need to work hard consistently on those three things on a regular basis. And the other things will automatically get better. But anytime you critique somebody, they don't know the difference between feedback and criticism. And it's actually the same thing. It's just how you hear it. It's just how you hear it. That's So there's a couple of things that like, as a coach in my space, which I love what you said, which is, um, okay, so first a really specific one. If you're working on weaknesses, so that's our sport. That's like in CrossFit, that's like the that's the deal. Like you're only as strong as your weakest link because they test you literally in so many different things. Mm-hmm. If you suck at one of them, you're not going to be where you want to be. You know, I from the outside looking in, I am not a sports-specific coach. So I always assumed that it wasn't necessarily as much the case in other sports because if you work on your weaknesses – you might get those up to mediocre. And as you're doing that, your strengths fall down to mediocre and now you're average across the board. It's really cool to hear from the best trainer in basketball history that it still is work weaknesses. It's still, yes, everybody worked. When I started with Michael, everybody said, okay, Michael came in and said, hey, I want to get stronger. I said, well, why do you want to get stronger? He goes, if I get strong, I get stronger, I'll be able to perform, I'll be able to perform better. I'll be able to play better. I'll be able to dish out punishment. I said, okay. I said, how about if we address the weak links in your body first? You know, I've noticed you, you're constantly, you, you're constantly having ankle sprains. You constantly have um, abductor strains. You have hamstring issues. I said, if we address those things, you're automatically going to be a better athlete. You're automatically going to be perform, perform better. And I said, if we address the other things first and don't pay attention to these things, these things are going to become more deficient and you're going to have more issues with them. You know, in your sport and in just like in the, in the basketball sport, especially in the basketball, everybody wants to put the emphasis on go, 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 go. All right. I always taught my athletes how to stop because that's what that that's where they were most deficient in, you know, in a lot of the, in a lot of the movements and the games that I watch with, with what you, with, uh, with the way you train individuals and the way they perform. Yeah. There's a lot of going, but if you don't know how to stop that movement, if you don't know how to stop that force, if you don't know how to stop that momentum, you got no chance. Okay, so specifically, how are you? How are you working with your athletes to do that? Is it um, eccentric loading? Is it um, depth ju- depth recovery jumps? Is it? I don't even. Have, for it's funny. You're the first podcast I get on where I didn't even have to explain it. You just you 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 already know. That's there's no. I don't have any secrets. There's no. There's no. There's no secret. There's no secrets to that. There's no secrets to this stuff. That that's that's what we do. It's right there. Here. We need to teach you how to decelerate. We need you to be able to stop quickly as possible in the correct biomechanical position and then be able to move again. Mm -hmm. You know, as uh, uh, my daughter plays D1 lacrosse and ACL tears are like- Oh my goodness. uh, It's like like someone's got a a BB gun in the stands and they just kind of like pick people off every other game or something like that. And it's it's a lot of the, the last one happened with the same thing. It was just straight line deceleration, you know, just coming to stop. Um, yeah. So yeah, totally. Um, so you also talked about this, like, uh, the Instagram thing and people want to like, just have this moment and they want to like, they're looking for the highlight reel. I like what you say in the, this, I, um, you just speak my language so much, Tim. I love this. It's, um, where everyone's so interested in building their brand, but if you build, I forget the way you said it, which is much better than I'm about to, but it's not about building your brand. If you focus on becoming better, the brand will follow that. But people have it upside down. 
they have it totally backwards. And you see the individual, and I'm sure you've trained athletes that way too. When they got that level of success and they won that one championship or so, they started to focus in more on building their brand. They like, all right, now they want to do more. They wanted to do more interviews and they're looking for more endorsements and they, you know, they, they can't stay off of it. Hey, do you, uh, uh, let's put the camera over here so they you could see me do, do the exercises. Those little things cost you so much down the, down the line. Continue to win. The best way to build your brand is to win. Is to win. You know, if you have, if you've raised four successful kids that are good people, are happy, have their own definition of success, whatever that may be, don't you think other people are going to come up to you and ask you, hey, how did you do that? Because not only did you win once, you won twice, you won three times. You won four times. You you won you won four times. That's how, if you just focus in on those wins every single day, those little victories every single day, and they're there. They are there because the ability to win is in all of us. They're there. If you do that, your brand will build tremendously. It will build beyond recognition. And all you have to do is look at my biggest client. He literally hasn't laced up a pair of shoes on a basketball court in I don't know how many years. He still outsells the top five basketball endorsers in Nike. His shoe outsells all five of theirs combined. And he never focused in on that. Michael would have a schedule. He, we usually ended up playing until the middle of June. All right, He would take... July and August to take care of his, you know, enjoy time with his family, let his body rest, go play a, a go play a lot of golf, go play a lot of golf, take care of endorsement things, and he would tell everybody. He goes, "The last commercial I do is the day before Labor Day." He because because after Labor Day, my focus is just training. My focus is just and so he had that laid, he had that laid out, and he would always say that if I don't put in this part of the training, all this other stuff is going to go. Other stuff is going to go away. And you see this from a brand recognition, where when their skill set and the winning starts to stop, instead of figuring out what happened there, they start to put more emphasis on the brand because they see that area dropping. When they're like, oh, I got to go over here and focus more over here. Well, no, if you just focused in on this part here, this part's going to take care of itself. As, unless, you know, as long as you don't do anything that's detrimental. So that's a cool, I, I, um, I'm fascinated by routines and you do a good job of laying out some of the routines. And you just mentioned that um, Michael, like his yearly routine was, you know, finish up in June, take July, August off, no commercials after what what did the what's the daily routine look like for one of these, um, you know, closers, one of these winners? Like, what's a what's the what's it like, Michael? Pick Michael or Kobe. What's a day look like? Well, you know what the one th these guys they want to start their day off early. They do every component that's necessary. They do their workouts, they do their skill work, they do family time, they do their recovery, they do their practice, they do everything. The easiest way to answer this question is they practice so hard so the games would be easy. Hmm. That's it. They practice so hard so the games would be easy. Michael's routine was he would either work out at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., or 7 a.m. Those, those were his thing. And then there was also a workout after, after practice and other kinds of modalities for treatment and so forth. And people always said, you know, oh, he's working out. Why is he working out so early? And why do you give him those three options? Well, the reason I gave him those three options is because if we worked out at the same time every single day, well, when his body had to, when he had to travel to the East Coast or he had to travel to the West Coast, his body is only acclimated 
to work out at a certain time. So there's a two hour time. So I never let his body just, I wanted him to be ready and be a peak performance at any time of the day. So when we would have to go, when you'd have to take a trip out West, we would adjust the times of his workouts and also adjust his recovery. So now when he's in LA or he's in Phoenix or wherever he, wherever he's at, his body, his body's still accustomed to working out in those different time zones. He's already training. His body's already awake during those different things. Now there was no, there was no books or anything back in the late eighties, nineties to tell me that. It just made sense. It it just made it just made sense to me. And obviously we saw we saw the results. So the training routine would be like, listen, weight tra- weight tra- weight training, weight training and speed work in the speed work and injury prevention in the morning. Breakfast, go to go to practice. Recovery, recovery time afterwards, and then depending on if there was any anything that any injury or something that needed to be addressed, any tightness that would be addressed again in the evening, or there would be more skill work that was that was uh, done. You know, in uh, the sport, in those sports, yeah, you need to maintain a certain level of strength. But again, the perform being able to perform at the highest level and being able to shoot and dribble and do all those things—that's where majority of the emphasis was put on. It's cool, yeah. I, um, I think it's so. There's this element to trailblazing and not doing what's been done before that comes into winning. And you're obviously, um, I think it's 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 almost hard to conceptualize this, but, you know, rewind a few decades and training hard during the season wasn't a thing. And no, it wasn't. You, you, you kind of like brought that into, um, you know, brought that into the mainstream in the NBA, which is, um, no small thing. Well, you know what? It's funny. (laughs) You read all these books, you know, we all read books. We read books, we educate, we look online, we do all the stuff, we do our research, we do these different things. And all that stuff, even with my schooling, you know, I have a master's degree in exercise science. My bachelor's is in kinesiology. So everything taught me what to think, what to think. This is what's in the book. This is how you, this is how you do things. Look at your, look at your champions that win over and over and over again. All right. They know what to think, but they also know how to think. And that's the ability of an individual that can win over and over again, that they figure out, you know what, this isn't going right right now. Let me make this adjustment here. Yeah, I didn't read this anywhere. I didn't see it, but I know this for this moment, this feels right. Having the ability of how to think is huge in a person's ability to win over and over again. That's why I don't like the steps things because the step things tells you the steps build your foundation or your steps should be your next, what are your next steps in order to do, in order to do this. But if you continue to follow those steps, all everyone is telling you, this is how to think, this is how to think, this is how, uh, uh, this, excuse me, this is what to think, what to think, what to think. When you lose that ability on how to think, you know, you'll have athletes where, yeah, you want them in a certain position and you want them to go and no matter what you do, they just can't figure out. And then you come up with something, you say, you know what, let's try this. Let's see, let's move thing over here. There's no book for that. There's no, there's no. there's no, there's no, yeah, there's tons of things out there, but sometimes no one taught me that, hey, listen, when every single coach I ever, I played for, they said, when you're tired, all right, put your hands over your head. If you're a basketball player, put your hands over your head and this will allow you to recover faster. And I'm like, man, that's just, I said, I'm tired. I said, why? Because it opens up your lungs more. I said, man, I'm breathing so damn hard already. My lungs are open. I don't, and I would tell, when I started to train Michael, and he goes, hey, he goes, man, he goes, I play so hard. He goes, I wish I could get an, uh, some extra recovery in, in between. Well, the first thing in my mind was like, okay, well, he can't lean up against anything. That's going to be like, there's no poles in the middle of a basketball court <laughs> where you just kind of lean on. And I just told him, I said, grab your shorts. I said, just grab your shorts, reach down, 
grab your shorts, just lean forward, and allow you to rec- allow you to recover faster. That wasn't what to think. That was how to think. That was something I just said, you know what? I know when I'm tired and I bend over and I grab something, I recover so much damn faster. Now, I'm not, you're not, don't stay down there for two minutes, but it'll allow you to recover faster. And it worked tremendously. It worked for him. It worked for every single client. If you see all the clients at work where there's numerous pictures of them grabbing shorts and coaches to this day still tell their athletes, don't do it. Yeah, it's an that's that's uh that's such a great specific example. It's a, it's like it's a one of those like just old wives' tales that's stuck. It's a yes. it's, in, it's insane. <laughs> you know, you hear these coaches like in between like our ours if we're doing like an interval session and you're like you're you're gasping for you're doing everything you can not to lie down. They're like walk around, walk around, like right. hands up over interlace your hands behind. You. It's like what are you talking about? Like <laughs> that makes no sense. But yet, people are saying do that. It's it's in it's crazy. Um, yeah, because they say it's a sign of it's. It, it makes you lo- it makes you look weak. No, what makes you look weak is it's not being, being weak. able. Yeah, exactly. Being weak. <laughs> exactly. I and listen. I don't care if I look weak. You have athletes in your gym that come in. I like oh what the and all of a sudden they like whoa. There's a difference between looking weak and actually being weak. So there's uh there's this aspect which you write about which I'm uh it um where this like winning thing again it feels like you know once you win it's going to be like you know and you you mentioned this it's like you have that moment but it's a decades but there's mm-hmm. this other aspect to it which is you it's unfair like winning like the way you use the term it's so cool like the whole winning i i mentality it's unfair you may be the trailblazer. You may dedicate yourself more. You may outwork somebody and that somebody might beat you. Yeah. God, that's a mind that messes with your mind. It uh, winning like, has like you you put in more. Like you deserve mm-hmm. it. You deserve it more. Yet someone else got the promotion. Someone else got the trophy. Someone else got the girl. Someone else. Yep. Man, that's tough. And I've been hey, listen, here's everything that you mentioned. I've been on the losing side of. I've been on the losing side. We all have at some point. Winning has no loyalty to anybody. It has no loyalty to any one of us. You know what? If you do all those things and you finally get a chance to win, you may be able to stay there briefly. Briefly. It has no loyalty. You know, it's after you've won, it's already turned its back on you and it's looking for the it's looking for the next person. And everybody thinks, man, you know, if I do all these things, I'm guaranteed a win. You are not guaranteed anything. There is no loyalty in that part. And it takes, literally takes one moment to turn a champion into a loser. It, it, ju- it, it just does. There is no loyalties. There's no guaranteed in the sport. There's no guarantees in life. There's no guarantees that if you get in this unforgiving race that you're going to win. But if you don't get in the race, you're never going to win. That's a guarantee. Tim, I thought we'd do something a little bit fun um, as we start to uh, uh, wrap this conversation up. Um, I've got a bunch of highlights from the book. I'd love to do kind of like a rapid fire. I'll give sure. you the, I'll give you sort of the quote um, and let you, Ben, obviously jump in as well, uh, but I'll let you kind of contextualize it. Give, give us your thoughts on what it means. And, and, and uh, just to let you guys know, I'm terrible at rapid fire. So I'm just like, all good. <laughs> all <right. laughs> rapid fire. You and <laughs> Tim, like, you and me both. Yeah. Like, yeah. This ra- we'll, rapid fire. Is gonna, <laughs> yeah. It's more of you like, we'll a, do what like we a, can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. So here we go. Um, and these are just, these are sprinkled highlights sprinkled fr- throughout the book. Sure. Um, and again, the book is called winning. Um, here's one winning. Here's your promises and laughs out loud. If you don't control it, you better be prepared to negotiate for it. And the negotiation never stops. Everybody, people always say, I, I, you know, these things are non-negotiable. <laughs> the only thing that should be non-negotiable are your personal beliefs to yourself. And sometimes you have to even negotiate those things. And if anybody saw that, the pandemic, 
the pandemic opened up the negotiations to to everything, to how you lived your lifestyle, to how you worked out, to how you went to work, to how you raised your kids, how you educated them. Uh, everybody said, "Well, I, I will never, I'll never work out at home." Well, you ain't gonna work out then, all right? Now you now be, now becomes now that your non-negotiable just became a, a negotiable. You know, I'll never homeschool my kids. Well, guess what? You're homeschooling your kids, all right? I I, I don't like uh, I don't like working out of the house. Well, you had to work out of the house, so everything that would have been a non-negotiable to you now became a negotiable if you wanted to keep winning. And the people that were non-negotiable on those things, well, look what happened. They didn't win. I had so many athletes that came up to me that was just like, man, what, what, am, I, what, am, I, what am I supposed to do? What am I, you know, I can't get to the gym. I said, can you get outside? So yeah, we can get outside. All right. Here's the plan. Is it ideal? No. But it's still better than what the alternative is. And if we continue to do the alternative, we're going to end up settling for losing and we're not going to do that. Here's another highlight. Being competitive and being a winner are not the same thing. I said this earlier. Everybody knows how to compete. We've all competed at some. Listen, you may compete for a parking spot. You may compete for a bus lane. You may compete for anything. You compete for a job. Very few people know how to win. And the difference is between those things, competing is the ability really from a physical, from a physical standpoint. The winners have that physical and that men, they, they have that mentality. They have a victory mentality. They don't have a, they don't have a, a victim's mentality. They have a victory mentality. People that compete when they lose have a victim's mentality. They like to blame other people. They like to blame, you know, oh, the coach wasn't. Ben, I'm sure in your business, how many clients have that were successful under your under your tutelage that decided to leave because things weren't going right and you pointed what the things they need to work on and somebody else said, no, 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 no. And they ended up leaving and the result was even worse. Uh, You don't have to say any names, but I could just, yeah. Everybody that's in the coaching business, we've had tremendous. And what do they do? They either want to come back or at the end of their careers, they come back and says, I should have never left you. I should have never left you. That's the difference between competing and winning. Accountability. No victim, uh, victim mentality. They lack the accountability in self. Here's another one. Selfish winners give to themselves so they can ultimately give to others. They give themselves confidence, courage, clarity. They give themselves time and space and focus. They give themselves the freedom to win. They know when to put themselves first and they don't feel bad about it because their success fuels everyone around them. I've never understood why taking care of yourself is a bad thing. You know, it's funny. We give... Selfish, the word, it has self in it. And if you go on Facebook and you go on any of these platforms over here, you know, you look at all these different self things and it's all good for you. It's all good. Now you add the selfish to it. Now all of a sudden it's bad. It's just the word. Listen, when you go work out, isn't that about you? All right. Is that considered selfish? All right, is me time considered selfish? Is boys boys night out, is that considered selfish? Is girls night out, is that considered selfish? Is your man cave considered selfish? No, it's the same thing. Those are things you do for self, but we like to give them these. We like to give these words to them that makes it that makes them feel that makes us feel good about it. You can't give more to others unless you take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. It's so 
important. The more you take care of yourself, the more you'll be able to take care of others. Here's a great example. If somebody says, hey, this is, uh, I'm going to go meditate. Uh, you're like, oh, you know, that's, that, 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 that's self-awareness. That's a great space. Everybody should, everybody should do more of that. Well, if an individual goes up to somebody and says, hey, not right now. All of a sudden, you're selfish. Well, you can't talk to the person while they're meditating anyway because they're in their own space. Now that, per- that person may not meditate the same way you meditate or get in a mental focus, but now that person doesn't have time for you. When you don't have time, when that other individual says you don't have time for them, all of a sudden you're selfish, but you've made so much of your time available to them. But when you finally say no, all of a sudden you're selfish. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to um, expound upon that because it, it it resonates with a lot of stuff that we talk about here on this podcast where, you know, it, the, a, a nice example is you want to take care of your kids. Like you want to play with them. You mm-hmm. want to provide for them. You want to be there at dinner. You want to be a resource for them. You want to be a role model. So what you could end up doing is actually spending, this sounds weird, but you could actually be too selfless and not take care of. So this is the idea is like, if you want to take care of your kids, what you actually need to do is take care of your relationship with your spouse. That's more important than taking care of your kids. Now, if you want to take care of your relationship with your spouse, it's actually very, very, very important that you take care of your relationship with yourself. You can't take care of relationship with your spouse unless you are at peace with who you are. Yep. And then you can't take care of your kids unless you and your spouse are at peace. So it actually, what in order to provide for others, you have to do the selfish things of taking your own time and journaling, reading, meditating, working out, staying healthy, staying mentally, sh- whatever it is. Whatever so it, it is, whatever those it is, whatever yeah. it is. In the, in, in, the, in the short term, it looks selfish though, because it's about you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work on my body. But it's not about that. It's I want to be an asset to my family in when I'm in my 80s. I don't want to be a liability. Yes. Yes. So that's the most selfless thing I could do. It's flipping it upside down. It's a paradigm shift. But people want to see it now. Who are the ones that tell you that about the selfish? They're the ones that are don't have don't have strong relationships in their family. They're the ones that don't work out. They're the ones that don't the, that work uh, their work uh, work environment isn't isn't good. They do, and those are the individuals that are calling you selfish for doing the things that you do for yourself, so everybody can benefit from them. Maxwell. We all have some kind of to-do list, but for most, it's a things-to-do that will never get done list. I can relate. Uh, Winners have a done list. Yeah. I love this thing about put this on the back burner. How many things do you have on the back burner that are still (laughs) on the back burner? How many back burners do you have? Yeah. And also, listen, I don't know about my stove. All the burners burn the same amount of heat. All right. So if you, and hit the thing about that says, if during the pandemic, the stuff that you had on the back burner, if it didn't get done, it ain't never going to get done. Throw it out. Just throw it out. All right. There's people have this to-do list that constantly grows, grows and grows and grows. The best people I know, they got this done. Hey, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. How do you get rid of the back burner? You don't add more stuff. You get things done. You get things done. And when you get things done, you delete them. You're like, all right, this is done. It might not be done forever, but it's done for the day. It's done for the day. All right. Then you, tomorrow there's a new done list. And the one there's a new one. Most people have that to-do list that just continues, it continues, it continues, it continues, and nothing ever gets done. Here's the last one. Fear is about playing to win. Doubt is about playing to not lose. Fear is about the threat, whatever you have to face. Doubt it. Uh, doubt is about you. Of all the obstacles and challenges you'll face on this race, uh, race to greatness, none will define you more than how you act when you stand at the crossroads of fear and doubt. 
Wow, I love that. Just to throw that in there. I yeah. love that. Listen, every single individual I've worked with, whether they're in business, whether they're in the athletic, we've all had fear. They've all had fear. But the fear didn't paralyze them. The fear actually fueled them. It actually made them sharper. But they never had any doubt. They never had any doubt, all right? Because doubt freezes you in your tracks. Fear, if you've ever been fearful of something, if somebody comes up to you and scares you, all right, everything in your body is heightened. Your alertness, your reflexes, everything. You're like, you're like, oh, all of a sudden, you're seeing things you haven't seen and you haven't seen in years. But when doubt creeps into your mind, when you doubt, I can do this, or I'm not going to try this, or this is not, this is not, this is not for me. More people take that road because it's easy to say, I didn't fail at this because I never gave, I never gave, I never gave the effort at it. We all have fear. Every single one of us has fears. You're supposed to have fear. If you don't have fear, you're not challenging yourself to get to that next level. Listen, every, you don't think so. Every single time my athlete stepped out on that hardwood floor, the baseball diamond, the football field, whatever it is, I have this fear in my mind that they're going to, that something's going to happen. They're going to get hurt or something. But I never have any doubt in my mind that they were not prepared to the full extent. Love that so much. That's, it reminds me of this old, like, I think it's an old Native American um, saying, which is you have two dogs that live inside of you. One's the, fe- the dog of courage. The other's the dog of fear. And which dog are you going to feed? So you can imagine like a dog getting scared. And when dogs get scared, they do one of two things. They either raise up their back, growl their teeth and move forward, or they do the opposite. They put their tail between their legs, round their back off and start moping backwards. It's w- which one of those are you going to be? Are you going to be yeah. the one that moves towards the fear and attacks it or the one that shies away and is scared of it? And every thought that you have feeds one of those two dogs. Every There's no standing one. still. There's no standing nope. still. Mm-mm. So which dog are you going to feed? The dog of fear nope. or the dog of courage? It's not a matter of choosing whether you get to be afraid or not. That's yeah. going to happen. It's You're going to get startled. The fight yes. or flight is going to happen. Now, when it happens, you respond to that and it's a choice. It's always a choice. Listen, winning is a choice. It's a it's a habit. All right. Winning takes you to hell. And if you quit, that's where you're going to stay. And that's and it's more you know, it's more comforting because there's more people in that area that just says, you know what? There's more of us and our stories are better because we can relate, we can relate to each other. Now, when you talk to real successful people, real winners that win at different things in their lives or what is important to, it's important to them, that conversation is completely different. And there's less people in that conversation than in the other conversation. I think it's a great place to wrap up, Tim. Thank you so very much for your time uh, and for the book. It's called Winning the Unforgiving Race to Greatness. It is out now. Uh, ben and I clearly both recommend everybody out there. <laughs> Tim's got both one. Gonna I imagine Tim recommends time. it as well. That's right. Um, where's the best place to, for folks to find out more about you, more about your work? Um, where would you like to point some people? Uh, website is very simple. It's timgrover.com. And my uh, social ha- social media handle at Instagram is at timgrover. Awesome. That's Thank it. you so much for your time. Thank um, you. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. We'll be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.